Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Stuff I Don't Like podcast, hosted by me, Ray Benjamin. On every episode, we seek to educate our listeners with a mix of humor, honesty, and zero chill. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuff I Don't Like Podcast, and now I'm happy to announce we're on the iHeartRadio app, so you can find our podcast there. Just search for Stuff I Don't Like. So wherever you're listening to the show, I want you to do me a huge favor. I want you to like, comment, subscribe, share it with your friends so the show can continue to grow and excel. On Facebook recently, I've been seeing the show's been getting a lot of new likes. I don't know where that's coming from because I don't really go on Facebook that much. (laughs) But thank you. Shout out to all the new fans and new listeners. Um, I love you know when you guys leave comments or dm me or message me so keep it up and thanks for your support if you didn't know i'm also if you didn't know i also um have co-written and produced a new cartoon web series called julisa who it's a one minute animated show that follows the adulting fails of the title character Julissa. Whether Julissa's trying to avoid her annoying co-workers or an unsolicited threesome at a coffee shop, her inner thoughts rarely match the unbothered demeanor she pretends to maintain. We post new episodes on Instagram every Tuesday and you can follow us at Julissa, that's J-U-L-I-S-A underscore W-H-O, or you can visit our website at julisahoo.com. So now that we got all of that fun stuff out of the way, let's go ahead and start the show. So hey guys, welcome to another episode of the show. Today I have uh, Dr. Jennifer Mullen with me. Um, She is the owner of Decolonizing Therapy on Instagram. It's a great account and she is a a psychologist, a community organizer, and an, an activist to you know, spread the word about mental health and how uh, people of color especially can benefit from these practices and decolonizing therapy as her IG is called. And I, 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 I found her on Instagram um, and I just really loved her posts and what her work stood for. And I wanted her to be on the show to talk more about uh, mental health and, and, self-care because that's a trendy topic today but I think at its heart a lot of people don't really understand how it affects people and disproportionately affects people that have experienced trauma from uh, racism colonization and whatnot so thank you for being on the show thank you for having me it's a pleasure hi everybody So, um, Dr. Jenny, can I call you Dr. Jenny? You totally can, or you can call me Jenny, whatever you like, whatever feels more comfortable. Okay. So how would you define mental health um, as a psychologist? Because I think a lot of people get the wrong idea and think that mental health is being happy all the time. I've heard people say that, but that's not what I really think. So how would you define mental health? Yeah, I think I think it's a great question to start out with. I know it seems so like 
like quote unquote basic, but it's so not. Um, mental health for me is equitable, um, as close to decolonized as possible, conscious, and really holistic mental health. Um, so what that means for me and the people that I work with and try to teach is um, really making sure that it's like liberatory spaces for healing and that people on the margins, people that um, are often disenfranchised, so our indigenous brothers and sisters, um, black folks, brown folks, uh, people that are not able-bodied, queer, non-binary, LGBTQIA, whole kaleidoscope, um, individuals that generally are not receiving access are able to access a well-beingness. Um, so for me, the mental health that I focus on is not just for uh, mainstream, you know, it is like overall wellness and health for people. Um, and I don't think it's just mental. I think it should be also, it's, I think mental health sometimes is like shortchanging people and it makes folks think like, oh, I have a head problem. You know, um, there's something wrong with me in the way that I think about things. But in actuality, um, it's really about being well. Like, do you have days of feeling joy? Do you have days of feeling sadness, which is healthy, right? Do you yeah. have days where you're irritable? Do you have days like, can you deal with the full range? Or does any of that overwhelm you to an extent where you can't function? So we want our people to function, right? Like we want our people to do well. We want people to... Um, like themselves to the best of their ability or work on liking themselves. Um, but yeah, I guess at its core, mental health is really more about holistic overall health, um, whatever that means to that person for the best that they can be on that day. Great. So I think that obviously your Instagram, like you said, is decolonizing therapy focused on marginalized groups that you just named. So do you find that you know, people of color or people in the LGBTQIA community or anyone, dis disabled people, anyone that is not, you know, considered mainstream, do these uh, marginalized groups have unique mental health issues due to, you know, trauma or, uh, yeah, how, do, how can we help these groups specifically? Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, well, when we think about for example, if you look at the Black community, right, um, when we look at the institution of slavery, not just in the United States, but when we look up at it from everyone that was stolen, kidnapped, um, violated, and brought across the Atlantic and the transatlantic slave trade, whether they were brought to Brazil, whether they were brought to Panama, whether they were brought to Cuba, um, whether they were brought to the United States, like these folks all have gone through massive amounts of trauma, right? So the first point for me is looking at like the intergenerational transmission of trauma. And that may sound really big and really you know, overwhelming because I wanna make sure that my work is also accessible to the people, right? Like the people on the ground without the master's level education and above. But what that basically means is like the shit that your family passed down to you unknowingly, right? So, um, Many of us are anchored to like ancestral wisdom as well, but a lot of us can't access it because we're so stuck in some of the traumatic stuff. So one of the ways that intergenerational trauma plays out is, um, you know, domestic violence, you know, intimate partner violence, how we see that play out in families and households, how like grandmothers may have gone through it and mothers have gone through it. And then you see, 
you know, um, a person current day going through it. And we're like, how is that possible? You know, so that's one way is like the intergenerational transmission of trauma is very precise. And with all of that kidnapping and exploitation and oppression and um, then think about what it was like on plantations for black people. Like we have picked up lots of traits and those traits helped us survive, but it doesn't mean that we still need those traits. It doesn't mean that all of those mechanisms that we've utilized um, still work for us. So that's one way. Um, that's one way that the, um, the mental health needs are more, um, a little bit <laughs> uh, more important than, I, I'm going to say more important, <laughs> uh, you know, than, than white America. Another is like looking currently, we have to identify like current oppression, right? systemic oppression and systemic racism. So I'm not just talking about individual acts of racism, right? Like I'm not just talking about someone walking me the block down the block and calling me the N-word. Like that hurts. It's traumatic. Um I'm gonna have a reaction to it. That that's real. I'm not I'm not minimizing that. But also, um what about like the systemic oppression? The way that A, the mental health system oppresses people. B, the way that, right? Like, um you know, the transportation system messes people over all the time. The way that education system doesn't get people of color what they need and people on the margins what they need. So systemic oppression is a huge one and that's embedded in white supremacy, right? So um, that's embedded in the fact that all institutions answer to this larger um, belief, this larger, larger overarching arrangement that gets to tell people, you know, what they should look like, where they should spend their money, what they should spend their money on, right? How they should feel about themselves. What is attractive? What is a good body? What is a bad body? What is good hair? What is bad hair? Um, so if you look at these, these things right there, that's intense. And then on top of it, a lot of our families aren't even feeling counseling or therapy, right? So a lot of us come from family systems that are like, oh, come on, just, you know, pray it away. Yeah. <laughs> Right? And that could be helpful sometimes, but at other times, like, you know, if someone is having some sort of break from reality or they're constantly dissociating and they're not in their bodies or, you know, they're so traumatized that they can't get out of the house or they don't want to get out of the bed. Um, sometimes I find that the prayer, if somebody leaves in prayer, could be used in conjunction with, you know, a form of counseling or therapy that can work for that person. So for these and all these other reasons, I think that um, people of color and people on the margins really um, are more sensitive to levels of trauma. Um, and the other thing is poverty, right? And, and capitalism and the way that it works out. And, you know, if you're below the poverty level and you're just not knowing where you're going to get your next meal, that's going to have an effect, right? If you're working three jobs and your kids are getting home by themselves and you're worried about your kids every day and then you're worried about trying to communicate in English to their teachers and then you're worried about, oh my gosh, how am I going to get back from my job to feed them? That is going to create a hell of a lot of stress. So um, these are just some of the reasons why I think um, that you know, folks who are most often disenfranchised have very special and particular needs, and um, we need to start paying attention. Yeah, that's, that's totally true. I was thinking, you mentioned this, and I saw a post on your Instagram that 
said the same thing, but we need to start thinking of mental health as more of a holistic issue. Like you said, you, it's sort of like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which I learned in school. Like yeah. <laughs> you, you can't, you can't expect people to be healthy mentally if they're worried about, you know, financial situations, if they have, you know, a housing crisis, if they, if they can't eat, if they can't, you know, get transportation to and from work so I think a lot of times especially in western culture I think when it comes to mental health and even physical health we sort of try to diagnose problems after the fact that it's happened but don't really look at the whole reason as to why it's happening in the first place yeah absolutely yeah why is it happening and like who benefits from it right who benefits from certain people um, being sick and tired and burned out and poor and to be real um, as, as you know sometimes like my students will say to me like but is that a little much like is there anyone really out there that is really trying to bring us down and kill us like is there really the man <laughs> right like is there really the man and then it's like hmm. well you see like these systems right these are their arrangements like they have been set up and constructed for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, even outside of this country. And it continues to benefit off us being sick and tired, you know? Um, and so if we're doing well and we're healing and we're connecting and we're vibing and we're actually having more business and we're conscious of each other's needs, right? Like, and we're helping our fellow person that is struggling and we're putting some money in their Venmo account, right? And we're like, supporting our people that don't have a job right now or supporting and babysitting for free our friends kids then that is revolutionary right like that that is us starting to take it all back take the power back and not let them get their way um and how they want things to be because it's a very old arrangement and they benefit from our from dividing and conquering does that make sense like yeah i 100 percent agree with that and yeah, I just, it's sort of overwhelming because you hear these, you, when you know the truth about things, you know about systematic oppression, you're just like, well, what can I do? It's sort of, it's sort of depressing, um, but you're right that we can all make, take action in small ways, even if it's something like you said, helping out your friend for free, babysitting for free so that they can go to work. Like, I think sometimes people become immobilized because they they see all of this injustice and they're just like, I can't do anything to make large change. So I just won't do anything at all. But I think if we can just take small steps, like it may not seem like a big deal, but it is helping someone. And that's, that's the only way we can make change. Like you said. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I was actually reading an article on this blog that I like called uh, Hearthside Healing, and it was about decolonizing the mental health system. And there was a quote from someone um, who was in the Rwandan genocide, actually. And they they were saying how they felt very isolated from the, the Western therapy. Um, the quote basically was, you know, a lot of Western mental health workers came to Rwanda immediately after the genocide, and we had to ask some of them to leave. 
they came and their practice did not involve being outside in the sun like our ancestors did. There was no music or drumming to get our blood flowing again. There was no sense that everyone had taken the day off so that the entire community could come together to try to lift you up and bring you back joy. There was no acknowledgement of the depression as something invasive and external that could be cast out of you again. Instead, they would take people one at a time into these dingy little rooms and have them sit around for an hour or so and talk about bad things that happened to them. We had to get them to leave the country. <laughs> and so I, I thought that was very interesting. And basically the, the, the whole article is talking about how a lot of times indigenous cultures have their own way of approaching mental health that are more you know, community-based practices or um, traditional healing practices, but those practices are not, you know, accepted in, in uh, Western society. And, you know, insurance won't pay for anything that's outside of Western bounds of approaching mental health. And um, so it was very interesting to me. So as someone like you who is a therapist, are you able are there any ways that you know standard Western therapy techniques can be adapted to different cultures? And how can we be sensitive to other cultures when, you know, offering mental health help and therapy? Yeah, that was that was um a beautiful quote and it gave me goosebumps. Um because I thought to myself, um, those therapists going into the other country, although they were well-intentioned, that's an act of colonization as well, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Like I, I was thinking about that, right? Like it hit me, like I felt it. Um, so thank you for that. Like I thought that was a really good, you know, segue. And um, yes, there's so many ways. There's so many ways. Um, first, let me just say that Modern psychology, most of social work, not all, because social work is a little bit more advanced when it comes to social justice than those of us in psychology, sadly enough. And in counseling, um, somatic therapy, even nursing, any of the helping professions, we are behind the times. We, we, we have to call ourselves out, you know? We have to call ourselves in, you know? Um, we are behind the times, and the majority of our theorists are white males. Yeah. Um, so you have to ask yourself, like, how does that, how does that translate to people of other cultures? How does that translate, right? You know? So um, number one, I think that group work is underutilized, right? So um, a lot of us were taught and had a group class, um, but what we weren't taught is the importance of the diversity, not in a watered down way, but the literal diversity of group work. Um, group work doesn't have to just look like sitting there and saying, hi, I feel blank. My name is so-and-so. And, -so. and, and it can, it can, but you can definitely take group work and apply it to other cultures. You definitely can bring together a community, right? A tribe, literally, of folks and say, like, you know, listen and pay attention to how they learn pay attention to how they heal. So as an example, um, I work with a lot of Arab identified, right, individuals at, at the school at which I work, right? A lot of young adults 
that are Arab, right? Many are Muslim, but not all are. Some are Coptic Christian, um, Coptic Christian Egyptian. Some are um, Christian and they're from Iraq. Some are, and there's so much diversity. And I had so many students that needed to come in and be seen that, I, that, that some of us thought in my counseling center, oh, let's run a group. Now think about it for a second. Like this is a community that not only is mental health, and I'm generalizing, I'm like hella generalizing, but the, the folks that I've worked with, mental health is not only kind of laughed at or just sort of ignored and not even really important and not even a thing, but also there's a whole layer of secrecy and confidentiality and deep fear for many of our Arab identified students of being found out, you know, like of being seen. So it's like a group wouldn't work for them. Like a group, you know, so nobody was coming to our group and everybody was coming to individual. And I was just like, well, I thought that a group would be better. We would connect in community. And they're like, we don't want to be seen. And what happens if so-and-so gets mad at me in group and then they tell their mother that I'm in group and then their mother, da, 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 and then their mother tells my father in the temple. And then their father tells the person that I'm set to marry. And then, you know, like really thinking about the ways in which our techniques can either harm hinder or help a person grow um so um again and uh, other cultures like if you get um a lot of people that are puerto rican identified caribbean identified uh, cuban identified uh haitian identified even you know you'll have those individuals starting to feel better in group more connected there's universality so that's one thing is like really utilizing group work and also knowing when to not use it right um, another thing is like communing with nature. Like a lot of times as therapists feel that we got to be sitting in the office all the time on our chair and they're across the room on their chair. Why? Like, why? Like, why? <laughs> you know, why? Like, it drives me insane. Like, oh, like there are times when I go with their permission, cause I understand the confidentiality piece, but these are grown people. Like, how, do you need to sit outside? Would it be helpful if we walked around? Um, <clears throat> nine times out of 10, the people that we're serving want to move their bodies. So getting out into nature, but also asking people, what are the ways that they have learned to heal best? Asking people, like, what are things that have worked for you before? Like we have a complex in my, in our field, in my field, right? Not your field, maybe, but my field, um, <laughs> that, you know, we're kind of like, saviors like martyrs and that's why I wrote one of those Instagram posts about like my fellow colonized therapists like I'm constantly I'm constantly in the process Ray of like looking at the way that I've been colonized and coloniality and I'm constantly looking at the ways that oppression shows up in the work that I do with people right so it is essential for us to consider that we maybe don't have all the answers so like I start off majority of my sessions you know more than I do about you. You are the expert here. I am here to bring, hopefully, hold a container, to bring ease, to be a reflection, to be a mirror if need be, um, to provide some techniques and ideas, but mostly I'm here to help you be your best self, and that's already in you. I'm just going to hold a space and wait until you get this, that like you realize that you know, we can get there. You know, I'm going to provide some of the external steps. I'm going to provide some of the resources. Um, another thing is what about art? 
You know, um, we underutilize art. We underutilize um, forms of art in our, mu our, our movements, like dance, um, like um, collages or vision boards for some groups. We underutilize even, um, I have some students that decorating their planners and really like adding different stickers and things actually gets them through the day, helps them get from class to class to class. Um, I have some students that, you know, are diagnosed by Western models and, you know, um, with like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and, you know, usually bringing in art and a component that feels related to them and how they feel allows for them to like, okay, 12 o'clock, I need to take my meds. All right, 1.30, I have my appointment with my therapist. Like, it, it allows for a little bit of space. It allows for a little bit of color because that's what a lot of us on the margins are used to doing, taking nothing and making it into something. Um, but another thing is also looking at like self-regulation techniques. Like lately I've been really moving into the world of like polyvagal theory. And I don't know enough about, like I couldn't sit here and tell you like a whole podcast on it. But basically <laughs> how can people self-regulate? Like how is what is happening internally related to like the trauma that they have gone through? How does that inform many, many, many things? And how can we help them use movement? in order to um, feel better, in order to feel more connected to their bodies. A lot of time as therapists, we tell people, you know, just connect with your body, listen to your body. Well, what if you don't know what your body's saying? What if you just feel numb all the time? How do you do that, right? So um, it's important that we start looking at how things like poor vagal tone, right? And the, and the polyvagal theory is linked to many disorders, including depression and anxiety, right? And breath work could be used, meditation could be used, cold showers could be used, right? Singing, chanting, gargling even, rapping could be used, spoken word poetry. So like I, I all of this and more, I can talk for hours. I'll stop talking. <laughs> no, no, this is great. This is what I yeah. love get into because recently I've started to do a qigong which is oh, yeah 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 so I started to you know I'm I don't have much money so <laughs> I just pull it up on YouTube uh, follow <laughs> the lady on YouTube yeah I do that for 20 minutes every day because I do love meditating I I try to do it but I think I you know, I've danced all my life. I think I'm just more of a movement-based person. And so when I do Qigong or Tai Chi, it's more like a moving meditation for me. And I can relax while I, you know, you're doing these simple sort of movements, but it allows me to uh, relax and let go of my mind more than a like sitting in meditation would yeah. do for me and I, I I really like it a lot and you know I've started to recommend it to people I've only been doing it for a couple of weeks but I feel that you know like um, the article I was reading was saying how uh, basically we only look through mental health through um, a western lens and there are you know indigenous ways of healing that might include you know 
ancient practices like qigong or tai chi or herbalism or drumming or sound healing and sound baths and whatnot and so i think there's a lot of different ways to approach healing and unfortunately I think a lot of therapists, not you, obviously, because you're great, <laughs> but try to force patients into like a one size fits all, like let's all do cognitive behavioral therapy techniques on everything. And while that might work for some people, you know, it might not work for everyone. So I think that just educating ourselves on just variety of techniques you know sound might work for other people moving might work for other people self-regulation like you were talking but I think we just need to broaden our definition so that we can help as many people as possible absolutely you hit it right on and and for those of us like in the helping profession because our egos can kind of get out there you know like we know we know um, to learn new things, like that helps heal me too, right? So I can't just keep doing the same things and saying the same things over and over that I'm going to sound like a darn operator. Like there's nothing fun and real in that. Like, but what I was saying about the polyvagal theory and like um, the movement, I've been taking this movement for trauma um, course with um, Jane Clapp and then I'm going to go out to Toronto to do level two. And, and, and you know, Believe it or not, even as a psychologist, I'm struggling too. Capitalism has its grip on me, but you know, doing what <laughs> doing what I can to broaden it and understand that, like, wait a minute, I keep being drawn to this movement for trauma for a reason. And this woman, Jane Clapp, which I highly recommend everyone following, um, Jane the Clapp on Instagram. Um, she has amazing posts, and they're very body based. Um, she's not a therapist. She's not a psychologist. Um, but she really, I shot her out because things that have not been working on my extremely traumatized, you know, students, clients, people that I've been serving, doing some simple, like two Jenga pieces, putting them on top of each other, walking, you know, focused memory and attention, um, looking at how collapsed immobility is, uh, affects people, um, simply moving our bodies in ways that we're not used to looking at the people that I'm serving in session and noticing if they're like tuned off, like, are they with me or are they literally not here? Naming things around the room. Like, so there's times where I'm like, come on, come on, let's get up. Are you up for it? Let's get up. And then they're like, "Uh, oh, okay. Okay. They're like, I can't feel my legs. It's numb. That tells me so much. Right. So I can't just use talk therapy to help people quote unquote, get better. Um, my job is to be the best, clearest conduit of healing, in my opinion. And that means, A, to provide them with affordable services. B, provide them with services that are um, as decolonized and away from the colonialism as possible. Um, and C, to provide different techniques and things that they could use so that they're not dependent on me especially if they can't afford it. Um, so things that they could use on their own that are going to work for them, their body, and their particular set of symptoms. So there's multiple ways to heal. Um, and everyone is going to be different, right? Like, so that works for you. And that's amazing. But maybe for someone else, they're like, no, I need to be on the mat. Yoga works for me. 
So then I'll be like, okay, so check out some Jessamine Stanley, right? Like she's, you know, fat, queer, black woman, body positive, or okay, check out Dana Falsetti, okay, or check out, you know, Body by Diane. Like I have to kind of be with it and know so that I know how to help the people. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. No, that's perfect. I think, uh, you know, we more therapists should take that technique, especially so do you ever envision a world where, you know, traditional techniques will get, I guess, scientific studies? Because I think that recently uh, there's been a lot of science uh, research studies on meditation and how it, it is proven to, you know, help people get in whatever beta waves, alpha waves. I don't know, but <laughs> I've, I've read like evidence-based um, research on why meditation works. And I think maybe that's why there's sort of been a proliferation and now there's all these meditation apps and studios and now it's sort of trendy, which is good and bad because I think it's good because the more people know about things, the, the, the better. But then I think it's bad because um basically it's now become like a capitalist trend and you have to pay their a lot of meditation studios or whatever charging thirty dollars to go meditate when that's something you could just do for free that's <laughs> so that's so bonkers to me right but like i wonder if there will ever be like a double blind study on like drumming or sound baths or you know herbalism yeah. Like, uh, do you, do, would you like something? Would you like as a psychologist to see more, I guess, research put into traditional methods? Or do you think that that's not necessary and that people should, you know, do what works for them regardless? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I have like, I have a twofold response to that. So it's a really good point. So like the first, the first thought that I have is, um, I'm just I'm just jotting it down so I don't forget <laughs> what I wanted to say because I had like had a, a lot of head nodding over here. Um, so first of all, like yeah, um, I think that there are studies in respective fields. Like there's tons of work on um, mindfulness-based uh, trauma therapy, trauma-informed meditation. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are doing you know some of that research. Um, I know that when I go to my acupuncturist, and, and again, we need multiple ways to heal. I have a therapist, I have an acupuncturist, you know, mm -hmm. um, I have my spiritual folks, um, and sometimes you can bargain, right? Like I can't always, I can't afford to pay full price for everything, but at the same time, I also acknowledge that I have more um, of an ability and I have more privilege, right? You know, to, to have all that. But um, my acupuncturist, She's just like always hitting me with studies and different things and like, well, you know, their chi liver stagnation is affecting this and check out this study. And I'm like, uh, girl, you check out the study. Just tell me why. <laughs> I'm just like, I ain't got time for that. I'm over here trying to like hold down two and a half jobs and like <laughs> and build up decolonizing therapy a little bit more and talk to me about it, explain it to me, what is it going to do for me? So um, I know that there are definitely um, a lot of empirical evidence and studies supporting a wide range of um, different 
things, like you said, like um, sound healing circles, Tai Chi, Qigong, even Feng Shui. Um, but then the other half of my response is um, that in general, research the way that it is now is just inherently um, biased and extremely based in like white supremacy, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, so part of me is just like, sure, I would love to see more of it. And then another part of me, um, I'm gonna curse, okay? Like, I'm oh, please me. do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a cursor. Um, so part of me is just like, yo, fuck them and their institutions and their ivory towers and fuck their research methods. Like, I have a dissertation sitting on my shelf that caused me a lot more stress, um, literal, figurative, mental breakdowns, sadness, inadequacy, imposter syndrome than anything else I've ever done in my life, you know? Um, so yeah, these whole like quantitative research methods and numbers and what have you, it's just more ways for like white supremacy to decide whether or not we pass their tests and whether we speak their fucking language. No, I, I agree. I was having a conversation with my friend because she, you know, she is very intuitive and an and, and empath and does lots of work. But I was basically saying what you were saying. <laughs> I, I don't need like some white man to tell me that this works. I know it works because I, I can feel that it works. I, uh, it's been ancestral passed down for thousands of years. I know it works. But she was of the opinion like, oh no, we need to do these studies because it, it get like, we can't just be saying stuff works. People won't trust us and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, I, if you think something <laughs> works, it works. Like, I don't need external validation to tell me that Qigong is helpful to me. Like, if you need that to help people, that's cool. But, you know, yeah. I, I'm yeah. <laughs> And you know what? I'm, I'm totally with you. And you know what? To be really, really, really real we need to continue to tell the people we serve, to tell our clients, our patients, to celebrate how their body responds instead of making them feel guilty that their body isn't responding the way, you know, it's socially acceptable, right? We need to make them stop feeling guilty that, oh, meditation doesn't work for me. Or, you know, every time I do this pose in yoga, I get really triggered. I get a flashback. I don't feel good. I feel nauseous. So like, okay, so what did make you feel good, right? Like what did bring your body back online? Um, and then see what happens, right? Because that's really real. And I'm, I'm like normalizing things for the people we serve, lifts shame. And then that brings relief. Hey guys, that was part one of my interview with Dr. Jenny. I just had such a great time talking to her and she was an infinite resource of knowledge and had so many tips and we talked for a while so I decided to break this interview up into two parts so that you guys could get all of her wisdom and glory. Um, you can follow her on Instagram at Decolonizing Therapy. Hope you guys had a great listen. I learned a lot and tune in next week. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Stuff I Don't Like podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Please do myself and yourself, let's let's keep it real, yourself a favor by going on Instagram and following us at Stuff I Don't Like podcast. You can also visit us on the internet, the interweb at stuffidontlike.net. I'd also love for you to check out the cartoon web series that I've been working on. It's a comedy. It's hilarious. You'll love it. And follow that on Instagram at Julissa, J-U-L-I-S-A underscore who, W-H drinks, comedy, performances. It's going to be dope. So check that out. And thanks. Always remember to subscribe, rate, and review the Stuff I Don't Like podcast if you haven't done so already. Tell your friends, tell your kids, tell your wife, tell your husband, tell whoever. And thanks for listening to the show. See you next week, guys.